When it comes to sex, let's be honest. We all have questions. Am I doing it right? Is it supposed to feel this way? Why don't I care about sex? And the big one, what is normal sex? Trust me, these are legit questions. So I found Dr. Jenny Schuyler, sex therapist extraordinaire, to answer the questions we always wanted to ask but didn't. And she has some questions too, good ones. I'm Kim Kaplan, and this is the Modern Pleasure Podcast. I am not crushing this. Let's be clear. I am right here with you, flailing along. You know, I have some scientific and psychological information to share, but mostly I want to create space for us all to come back to our inner wisdom. So I don't want anyone to think that my kids are not fucking up on a daily basis. Yeah. <laughs> so like sometimes my older daughter's like, oh, I was at the park and everyone was partying and la 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 la. Am I going to get in trouble because you're like the mother person? I'm like, no, you're going to get in trouble because you're making guests. Like, <laughs> there's no expectation for you to be any different. Well, welcome to another edition of the Modern Pleasure Podcast with our resonance expert, Dr. Jenny Schuyler, and yours truly, Kim Kaplan. I always forget to introduce myself because I just feel like if you listen to this podcast, you know me pretty well. (laughs) All of you and your marital details. And everything in between. Good morning. How's it going? Good morning. It's great. I'm very excited about this next guest because we go back a long time. Let's dive right into it. Tell us who we are going to be talking to today. We are talking to a longtime friend and colleague, Deb Rubin, and we used to run Becoming Orgasmic workshops based on the book, Becoming Orgasmic, to help women orgasm or to at least maximize their pleasure. Um, So Deb has a history of working in sexuality um, and being really helpful with her clients and her groups. She's a fantastic group facilitator and had a private practice for a long time, still does, but has transitioned her work to working with mothers and daughters. So her new, her new business um, entity is the Mother-Daughter Journey, um, but she has a lot of history in being a wonderful therapist in sexuality. And so what I'd love to do today is pick her clinical brain, but also her, just her lovely brain as a human, um, (laughs) about this intersection of sexuality for mothers and daughters and how to talk with daughters about sex, how to help mothers feel comfortable being in that space to talk with them about sex. And find out all there is to know about this new landscape well let's get right to it then hi deb hello and there she is just like that thank you both so much for having me yeah i i just love the work you're putting out in the world and it's so important so thank you for letting me be part of it i have two daughters and sometime around when they were your boys ages actually seven and nine i had this hit that there's this really negative storyline around mothers and daughters and that the messaging we see in media that the, the, everyone would say to me, Oh, just wait, just wait till adolescence. Like you're in for it. And it was like so much negative projection. And then I started getting curious, which is what I do because I want to understand and know a lot of things, <laughs> which is why I changed things a lot. And in that journey, I started getting pretty clear about the deep, systemic sexism 
that mothers carry for generations and generations and generations and project onto their daughters. And that that dynamic actually becomes this emotional competition almost for who can have the biggest feelings in the house. It's a really simplified way to say it, but I think that's actually the root of the process of girls and those who identify as she that are coming of age and having this emerging sense of self and how that can unconsciously compete with mom, trigger mom, Mm. and activate all of mom's stuff with her mom. And again, that's a really simplified way of explaining it, but I got really excited to change the storyline and empower moms to really have a deep understanding of themselves so that we can then show up with our girls and learn how to let them be them, which is really, you know, this goes across the board with all parenting styles, but I think when there's a shared gender, it can be particularly triggering and and just really learning ways to understand, communicate, change your stance, change your style, all the things that need to happen in order to kind of get out of the way, but still stay really connected. That is a dance. And so that's what motivated mm-hmm. it. And now I do the mother-daughter journey. I do lots of workshops and public speaking. And I have a podcast called Motherhood Uncut. And that's where I'm at. And I'm raising two adolescent girls. Wow, you sound How do you have busy. Time for I, know. Everything? <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. I start my day very early. <laughs> <laughs> if I could just uh, chime in here really quick. So, I come from a very matriarchal family. The women in my family are very present. My mom has two sisters, and they all have daughters. And I would like to think, and I, I know this is true just because I've been told this by people who know our family, we are very, very connected, very, very close. However, it doesn't really matter how close that relationship is. I know what my mom went through with me when I was an adolescent. And so um, I, when you were saying that, I'm like, wow, you know, because it always boggled my mind. How can I be so close with my mom, but yet still have these feelings of angst or animosity, right? Yeah, I, I love that. And I, you're so lucky that you come from a strong matriarchal family. I do oh, as yeah. well. So I can really relate to that. And it's very, very lucky. And I guess there's one thing I want to clarify is that having angst and struggle is actually not what I'm concerned about. You know, where I get more concerned is when there's division, when there's separation. Mm. And it's I love to actually almost start there when I'm working with mamas. You know, remember that connection looks different for everyone. It's not about being happy and holding hands and frolicking through a a field of sunflowers, you know? It's like, or doing things together all the time or talking even all the time. But there's this way to keep the cord connected so that mom is the safe place for child to land. And that is where the daily work happens. You know, and that and that there's trust when there's actual physical separation <clears throat> and emotional separation, mm-hmm. but to get that that relationship current. And so, yeah, I think it's just a great conversation to have around what it looks like. Yes, Deb, what does your mom and what do your daughters feel about your work? Uh-huh. It's a great question. My mom used to actually run parenting workshops when I was a kid which is funny. And she was a nursery school teacher. She just loves it. She is 
she's a learner and she is always wanting to keep her brain growing. And so she, at this point, she's just like, teach me what you know. You know, she's just kind of open and our roles have swapped. And then as far as my daughters go, they are totally down. You know, I'm very careful. Like I, I make a point to check in with them before I share stories about them with groups or share stories in my Instagram about them or on the podcast. But I'm also like, we're having big conversations right now because I always set it up with, with all the moms I work with. I am not, I am not crushing this. Let's be clear. I am right here with you flailing along. You know, I have some scientific and psychological information to share, but mostly I want to create space for us all to come back to our inner wisdom. So I don't want anyone to think that my kids are not fucking up on a daily basis. Yeah. <laughs> so like that, when that's happening, sometimes my older daughter's like, oh, I was at the park and everyone was partying and la, 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 la. Am I going to get in trouble because you're like the mother person? I'm like, no, you're actually going to get in trouble because you're making guests. But <laughs> there's no expectation for you to be any different, you know? So we just kind of, it's a, it's a work in progress. And, but so far it's been pretty smooth. That's great. That's great. Deb, do you, I imagine you definitely talk to your girls about sex. I think I know you do. Yes. All the time. How, when and how has that emerged for you? So I believe that it's never too early to start talking to your kids about sex. Like the moment they can talk and understand their body parts is the moment they need to start learning who they are in the world. And so these conversations have been going on since they were four years old around body safety awareness, around pleasure, around accurate names for body parts, around boundaries. Um, you know, we used to play the game, what would you do if, meaning like, what? and it would start off, what would you do if you saw two kids leaving out another kid, you know, things like that. And then it would go, what would you do if someone asked you to take pictures of you? Mm-hmm. What would you do if someone asked you to take pictures of you without your clothes on? You know, and so, and we got really explicit early. And so that the language was just there and it was very clear of safety, right? Mm-hmm. It never came in from like a fearful, be careful, people are bad. You know, I definitely right. did not want to instill fear in my kids because sexuality is just this beautiful, natural part of being a human. And I think so often, when parents have a fearful lens, we project that onto our kids and then kids are not trusting themselves as sexual beings. And so that's sort of where I always start when I'm t- working with families too, is like, it's really important to get in touch with your own script around your sexuality, your own fear, your own trauma. Now is the time if ever to work with mm-hmm. that. And And to keep that conversation alive and well, because it's really important that you as parents understand your values and what's actually yours, not inherited from the past, Mm. right? And how to have agency to make choice to how you want to present those facts now. So that's a very kind of early stage. Do you want more about adolescence? Yes. Yeah, I was just going to say, well, that's easy. It's not. I I think there's actually a lot of parents uh, or and mothers who struggle with even that stage of it. An accurate language. I mean, I my I have two boys, but I'll hear them share stories of their friends, and they'll refer to their genitals as 
very strange names. And it's like, no. Yes. You know, this is a penis. These are your testicles. They are encased in your scrotum. Like, <laughs> yeah. they know that. But their friends call their parts very strange things. I agree. Yeah. And, those, and those baby names often come from parents that are uncomfortable saying those. Right. 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 So that, and I often will tell parents, you know, if you are uncomfortable saying vulva or clitoris or scrotum, you know, mm-hmm. say it, just say it, look in the mirror, right. say the word, hear yourself saying it, feel yes. in your body. Like that is, <laughs> is really, <laughs> clit is really hard for a lot of they people. Need, they need Jenny's clit. vulva pillow. <laughs> yes. With the vulva pillow. Oh, I love my vulva pillow. I could grab it. Okay. Uh. <laughs> and I this you know I believe this with every inch of me that it is so important to teach you know I work with daughters so I'm going to just be specific around for a moment but to teach girls about all the beautiful layers of their vulva and so my kids were little when we were sitting in front of the mirror and pulling our vulvas apart and looking at them and identifying the labia and and the clitoris and identifying all the holes and like just making it like we were talking about hair, you know, I mean, it became so normal and natural. Now I know that that's comfortable for me and that is really hard for many people. So then it becomes a practice for all us women to look in the mirror and explore and feel and notice our scents and all the things that come with a body so that then you can model that because regardless of what you say, they are paying attention to how we are in the world. Mm-hmm. Right? So anyway, so as they get older, um, I think it is absolutely imperative to just start talking about relationships and you start this with friendships, you know? And, and so I'm a big component of do not wait for your kids to ask. It is a hundred percent our job as adults to be the initiators of these sexuality conversations and relational conversations. Because if they're not getting it from us, they're going to go get it from the world. And that's when they learn from porn, their friends, or just the internet in general. And that is not what we want. Right? Yeah. We want yeah. yeah especially the in these days. Yes. It's so distorted and sexualized in a negative way. There's just so much mixed messaging that's usually about advertising a product on some level, teaching people inadequate and that they need to buy something to be better. Um, but when we, so I am also a big fan of peppering things in, you know, short and sweet and frequent. So whatever the conversation is. So if you're talking about friendship, you can talk about consent through friendship. You can talk about what safety looks like in a friendship. You can talk about how to change your mind in a friendship and to not have the need to justify your decision. Um, And all these things, as you can see, are building blocks to what happens when you're sexually active. Um, So that's a huge piece is starting with how we relate to others. And then as they get older, then the conversation is just like everything, bigger bigger people, bigger problems, or however you want to say it. so I think a really important place to start is pleasure. Okay. And I know that this is, I know at least Jenny, this is your bread and butter and I'm assuming Kim, it's yours as well. No, it's actually not. I'm learning a lot as we go. Well, you're learning from <laughs> She's <that>. learning well. 
this. Like, because if you think about it, in typical sex ed, boys learn about wet dreams and ejaculation and hard-ons, and girls learn about STIs and unplanned pregnancies. Mm. And they're so there's already a flip of the negative lens that girls get around sexuality. And we are not teaching people about pleasure at a young age. And I think one thing most parents can agree on, and I say this confidently, that we want our kids to experience healthy, pleasurable sex lives. Do you agree? Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I think that's also terrifying for parents to think about like my child or my adolescent will have sex. Yes. And, and that, I, that schism and that growth for parents, I imagine, is maybe the hardest edge. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know. In well, terms of it, your groups. in my experience, for me and my mom, you know, when I got into, well, I'm just going to scoot into, you know, in my early high school years, um, I had a boyfriend. I think I was 14, a freshman or sophomore in high school. And she immediately went, you know, we're going to get you on the pill. You know, because I can just sense that there's going to be some promiscuity here. Um, that didn't stop me from getting pregnant in in my senior year in high school. And so I think for her, the fear wasn't so much about pleasure. And maybe that was just the time. I mean, we're talking, you know, how many years ago that it wasn't a conversation around, I want you to experience this pleasure. It was a conversation around, I don't want you to get pregnant, you know? And so there was still that fear of having sex, you know? So I don't know if that, I'm hoping that conversation has shifted as you're, you know, talking to these mothers and daughters, because I'm thinking, you know, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, I'm not quite sure those conversations were the same. Mm -mm. You're right. What I what I will tell you is that what we know is that when any of us young people are informed and knowledgeable, they make healthier choices. The end. Mm-hmm. And so this is actually, and we're and we're finding actually in the psychological world that like kids are actually making better choices than ever before, which I find so fascinating. We just know more. The adults know too much because of technology and social media. And so, and there's, and there's actually not a lot of privacy for young people. And so, so pregnancy rates are down, drunk driving is down, you know, unplanned pregnancies are down. I just said that, but um, you know, all that kind of stuff is actually really important to understand. And I think it's really important to understand that, Yes, unplanned pregnancies are a huge thing to avoid, but we want to actually start the conversation way before that. Mm -hmm. When do you know you feel comfortable being intimate with someone? How do you have the language to say, hey, this is moving too fast? How do you have the ability? And that's something I practice with my girls on a regular basis. So literally coaching them of like, if you're starting to make out with someone, and it doesn't feel good anymore. What do you say? Mm-hmm. And my kids often was first time we had this conversation, like, well, we'll say no. And I was like, well, you think that, but that's actually pretty hard to say no, especially if you like the person. And it's not like this violent thing. It's just moving at a pace you're not ready for. 
And so then we actually like play it out of language, you know, hey, I'd like to slow things down, but I still want to kiss you. Or this is moving too fast. Can we take a break? And they literally will look in the mirror and practice saying it. And this is what I coach my moms to say too, because these are the conversations that we want to empower people with so that they feel in control. Yes. Deb, these are important um, statements for anyone to use at any age. I can't tell you how many couples who've been married for 30 years need Mm -hmm. this because you know, foreplay is the mystical, I don't know, something that lives on another planet. We don't, we never, never learn about it. Right. So got to teach that. <laughs> so if we're fast forwarding through central activity, right to penetration way too quickly for a woman who's, you know, in her sixties to say, hold on, love, this is going a little too fast. Can we slow it down? Yes. Can we kiss? I mean, so from teens to your eighties, like such great advice. Just want to bookmark that for anyone listening, even if you don't have a daughter, because I don't, but this is great. It's great for all of us as humans. Yes, it really is. It's so, it's about empowering young people to have a voice that then turn into adults that have a voice. And the reality is it's your body. You are in charge. You have a voice there, right? What, how does the fear of rejection factor into this, though? Because, you know, there's always that fear of, well, if I do say no or if I do slow things down, then they're not going to like me as much as they do in that moment. Because that's a real problem for any teenage girl. 100%. I, 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 such a great question. I was actually thinking the same thing next, too. So, I mean, I can tell you that I definitely had made out with people because I didn't want to hurt their feelings like hundred percent and then just wanted it to be over so I could be. Mm-hmm. And so I think it has to, this is where we never, it's never too early to start. Right. And we practice on friendships and it's like, if someone doesn't want to have a play date that day, you can find language of like, Hey, I can't play today. And if they say why, how can we teach girls particularly not to have to justify their choices? You know, yes. really a, this is unfortunately often a gender thing that we still, I still, if I break plans, I feel like I have to have a reason. And yeah. I'm really interesting to be like, my plans changed and, or I'm tired. I can't hang out today, you know? And like, and so how to model that. So it starts with that. Of course, if you want, if it's a friendship and you want to explain why, because you don't want to hurt their feelings, then how to have language of like, hey, this is not personal. This is just me taking care of myself. Okay. You know what's striking me, Deb? And and I'll say this. I'll, I'll own that my boundaries with my boys are looser than I'd like right? My no is less accessible than my yes. They're like, well, mom, you know, and I'm like, all right, you know, and um, granted they're little, but I do talk about with my husband all the time, developing better boundaries to give them more, more structured, loving no. And I know from many of the mothers I work with and the ones I've sent to you as well, um, <clears throat> that if you come from a place where you want to please, so that you so that you're liked, your no is less accessible. And when your no is less accessible with your kids, um, they don't have they don't have that same felt. The kids don't develop a felt sense that boundaries are okay to set. Is my yeah. imagination? Yeah, so, so practicing, 
yeah, as moms and as dads out there. Well, and I think um, as parents, you feel a sense of obligation too to be able to be there, you know, for them at all times, right? So that that makes it even harder to kind of sure. come up with that loving no, or at least that's my feeling. And understanding that boundaries are love, even yeah. because it's, it's it's sometimes for many parents hard to say no. So they end up watching too much TV or playing too many video games or just not having a f- of the inner sense of a boundary, the way your boundaries, Deb, are very good and clear. And so it sounds like your girls are able to feel the sense of what a boundary is and how to execute it. But I'm learning learning all the time. Thank you for that. But yes, like, I think that you're absolutely right. And this is so, this is part of the deep systemic sexism that, you know, we all feel still, even though the times are changing, it's so deep in our systems that we are somehow responsible for someone else's feelings. Okay. Like if we reject or say no, then it's our job to adjust to make them feel better. Hey, I still feel like that with my kids who are in their thirties and forties, you know, I mean, as a grandparent to feel like anytime they ask me to watch the grandkids that I feel like I have to say yes if I don't have any plans. But if I just don't feel up to it, it's a very hard thing to say no to. And I feel like I have to justify it. And there's that sense of obligation Mm. as a grandparent that you should want to spend all your extra time with the grandchildren, you know. So I think this is not just a a teen problem or a parent problem for young children. This is an adult problem. Um, too, you know, that, Mm -hmm. that sense of obligation with my, I mean, I still have those feelings of, even when I talk to my boys now, where there is some certain resentments when they grew up with me as a single mom, you know, and a lot of it is that they don't understand what a single parent had to do to, to be, you know, active in every aspect of their life, including, you know, supporting them. Um, and so they had it, they see it through a different lens, like you said, but so there's that guilt. There's the guilt of not providing what you felt you weren't providing at a younger age. And, and, you know, so I feel like everything that you're saying about how to communicate with your younger child still exists in communicating with your older child too. Maybe it's not about sex, but it could be about life in general or choices or, you know, like I'm not going to go into it, but I'm kind of dealing with that right now with one of my kids. And I'm just sort of going, okay, you have to remember he's an adult. He's got to make his own choices, whether you think they're good choices or not. um, It's a there's a tough conversation there, especially as an adult, you know, because then you're kind of feeling like, well, it's not really my place anymore. And to your point, you know, being a sexual being is is just being alive. Right. So that's why this is where I really want parents to understand that how we do anything is how we do everything. And so whether we're talking about sex or communication or just showing up as yourself, it's all part of being a sexually healthy person. And I think that's a really important message because that might pull the stigma away from it being that sex conversation as opposed to just being a conversation. That's right. And that's why I say to do short and sweet 
and repeatedly because it can be filtered into like anything, you know, like, and yeah, Jenny. No, no, I love what you're saying. I was gonna say, I want to just reiterate for listeners, because I think it's super important, not just the easy digestible bite-sized pieces through the lifespan, but also beat them to the punch is what I'm hearing you say. Don't wait for their questions, beat them to the punch so they get it from you. And there's a lot of politicized stuff in the school systems around curriculums and to do them or not to do them. And it's like different people have different values around sex education. Your values are your values and that's fine. Um, If you want to teach those values to your kid, beat them to the punch. (laughs) Yeah. You know, that's right. And that's the, uh, the other piece around that is that we want to a hundred percent show our kiddos that we are the safe place to have these conversations so yeah. that that door opens when your kid comes to you and says, mom, yeah, I think I'm thinking about getting fingered. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're like, well, what just happened? You know? And it's like, well, if they, if you're keeping that door open and you're showing that you can hold that and they're mm-hmm. having, like you said, boundaries, but a felt sense of safety, mm-hmm. then you are the one that reflects their beautiful wisdom. By the way, I can teach this all day long and I still get awkward at times. So what do I do when I'm awkward? I'm like, wow, I feel awkward right now. Just say it, you know, or well, what I wish my mom had told me was, or I don't know the answer to that question. Give me a minute. I'm going to do a little research and come back. Or if they ask me a really personal question, I don't know if I'm totally ready to share that part of myself, but I promise I'm going to put some thought into it and come back. Or, hey, I just said that really weird. Can I try again? Mm-hmm. So it's just slowing down the whole process that however you talk about things and you're clumsy, be clumsy. It's okay. It's yeah. normal to be clumsy. Well, and I think yeah. that vulnerability offers a better connection too because then you're you know, coming off as somebody that isn't talking down to them or making them feel like, look, I know more than you do. It's almost like a, you know, a, a cultivation of, of a team. You know, we're going to go into this together. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like that, and just that togetherness allows the door to be open. And that what I am finding over and over is when mamas and dads are able to hold space and be clumsy, the conversations just keep flowing. So it's permission. I love this because I I call it owning your awkwardness. And I encourage couples, especially when they haven't had sex for a long time and they're in a dry spell. I'm like, have some awkward sex then. Because they're like, oh, it's going to be awkward. I'm like, okay, so have awkward sex. Be like, hi, it's been a long time. Would you like to have some awkward sex? (laughs) Um, (laughs) It works. And then then they laugh and that diffuses the awkwardness and whatever. We laugh at ourselves and then they move on. Um, Deb, so I love the, the, the... practice and the permission for the clumsiness. Do you have a particular era around adolescence that is most tricky to navigate when it comes to sex or do you, or is it sort of a whole scope of different things? I think it's a whole scope. I mean, one thing, so let's go through it a little bit. Like I said already, consent is huge, right? And we're teaching that and and modeling that forever in all different ways. We talked about safety. We've talked about language. I think a really important conversation, if you're going to like designate a conversation, is to straight up say, and I did this with both my kids the summer before they started middle school. So they had already had like tech 
technical sex education in school, which by the way, both my kids were like, I could have taught the class. I'm like, I'm sure you could. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> my kids will teach it too. I get it. <laughs> yeah, let the teachers do their thing. And, um, but, and then be, the summer before I was like, hey, I want to go through all terminology with you right now. And I want you to be informed. And so I started going down the list, you know, of just words. And then we actually, and then I was like, and what words are you hearing? You know, and, you know, like, I think one of my kids was like, I think I know what a blowjob is, you know, or what's anal or what, you know, what are anal beads? You know, I mean, big questions like that they are hearing. Mm -hmm. What is porn exactly? And so, and, oh, and the porn talk, we'll get more in a minute. Yes, I would love to hear. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Porn. Navigating porn. Welcome back. Another podcast. Um, But actually, that probably should be another podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I think that, so, and that actually, so at first, you know, they were like, really? And there was eye rolling. And I was like, yes, really. You know, I just like held the line for this one to be like, I just want you to know what you're saying too. For example, um, teaching them that their words are everything. You know, they, they, that's where they have control over what they put into the world and how they digest and understand it. So to my kids, this was a long time ago, we're in the kitchen singing a song called that, that was like, fuck me like a rock star, fuck me like a rock star. And they, I mean, Tess, my little one, I think she was like seven years old singing that. And I was like, hey, do you know what, that, what you're singing? And she's like, not really, you know? And I was like, I want you to understand what fuck means, you know? And she, I was like, you probably only really hear me say it when I stub my toe or when I, you know, get road rage. (laughs) 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 And then I was like, but it's another word for sex. It's another, but it has a different connotation. It can sometimes have a more of an aggressive way of having sex or just stronger than it's, it feels different. The way it's used is different than making love you know, and it can still be totally consensual, but it has a different flavor. I just want you to know, you know, what you're saying. And that was just a beautiful conversation. That was it. And then I was like, pass the salt, you know, because it's like, those are the little moments where we can empower them. And mm-hmm. the more they feel empowered, the more of a voice they will have when they're interacting with someone. So I'd like to know, did she continue singing the song in the shower? No. He did. He was kind of like, "Ooh, I don't, I don't know if that feels good anymore." Yeah, <laughs> you know? good. Fine, because it's actually not an appropriate thing for a seven-year-old to be. No, doing. no. So, um, what happens when you start factoring in hormones? You know, and and the the difference between. Um, actually communicating with a um, sane teenager as opposed to a raging hormone <laughs> infested one because that's like Jekyll and Hyde, right? I mean, you have a lot going on there and sometimes it, it's harder, I would imagine. I know just in my experience as being somebody who was difficult to talk to in my teenage years, how do you get the message across without this backlash of I hate you or I don't understand or I don't care or I'm going to do whatever I want or you know what I mean I mean there's got to be some kind of boundary against that disrespectful moment and as a mother of kids you're going to have those right it doesn't matter how well you talk to your kids you're going to have those moments of disrespect how do you handle that when does the hammer come down Deb or does it 
question. It does. It does. It's such a good question. First thing though, I have to say, because I have to, I'm like the biggest cheerleader for adolescent girls, is that we can't blame their big emotions on their hormones. Okay. Hormones are very real. They're starting usually around age 11. Like they're definitely playing a part, but what the big emotions are really about is what's happening in the brain. And yes, hormones are part of that, but their brains are literally under construction. And so where the prefrontal cortex is in this process of developing, I like to explain to parents that it's just like a, they're remodeling everything in there. So they're shedding all the stuff they're not using anymore, like turning off the lights and maybe being polite and maybe trying to be a pleaser as much or, you know, all these things that they're just not using anymore because what's growing is their passion, their values, their self. Mm. So I have to say that when big emotions are coming, that is a hundred percent the journey of maturation. It's necessary. And if we start to blame this is just a shout out to all the kids for parents to listen to. If we start to blame hormones I hate to be redundant, but it's also another sexist comment. Like, oh, you and your hormones, you know, it's almost like we don't say that to boys. Right. right? We don't. Well, I, I think we would. I don't know. I, would. I think I did, too, with my boys. Okay. It's like yeah. maybe it's not as prevalent. Testosterone? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay, that's fair. But I guess like Hillary Clinton. You know, or just like women in power that they, there was just so many questions. There was so right. much shame of women and hormones. For, you you like, don't want to stereotype, you know, the, the, the actions of someone based on. I think hormones. the sexism is when it's like, especially in a marital couple, like, is it that time of the month? You know, like yeah. that's rude. I'm going to go with inappropriate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It is rude, and it's actually like we cycle, and women, and girls will start cycling before they start bleeding. So it's starting to honor and understand our cycles and teaching our girls and teaching everyone in the home that this is a cycle and to be somewhat prepared. And, you know, I didn't coin this, but I heard it somewhere along the way that PMS should be called premenstrual sensitivity because mm -hmm. it's actually just a time where we're more sensitive. And the good parts of that is we're more intuitive and we mm -hmm. see things more and we hear things more and we taste are stronger and our feelings are stronger. And so there's like an owning, we're kind of like flipping the script there. Okay. So I went on a tangent, but I'll no, bring it back. That's okay. um, <laughs> good information really all the way around. So we're good. Also fascinating. I mean, there is a huge difference between moods and mean. And, Moods and what? And being mean. Mm. And so I am often trying to help parents identify what the line is for them. And when you know that line, you hold it steady. So if my kiddos come down and they're just grumpy and no one's really answering me and, you know, it's like angsty and there's lots of uggs happening. And I'm just, I can like find humor in it. Like, oh, right. They have big emotions. Their brains are under construction. They're not adults, but I am. These are the mantras I tell myself over and over. I actually have them written down in my bathroom. Um, <laughs> That's good. That's then, good. Yeah, we need the reminders, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm <laughs> writing stuff down too, Deb. Oh, I, I, <laughs> I wrote down brains under construction. I love this. I know. That's <laughs> a good one. And they are not. Like that is such a big one because they might seem like they have high functioning brains, but they don't. I'm going to actually use that on my husband. My brain is under construction still. So. Yes. Sorry. Good. Well, they are. Our brains are always under construction, right? Yeah, it's just yeah. the most 
intense time during adolescence. <laughs> but then if someone like makes a joke about my outfit, is it makes a cutting remark about the way I'm chewing or actually uses me, make is making fun of me, those are lines for me. You know, and uh and that's when I have simple responses of either ouch mm-hmm. done. And you can feel the silence when I say just like, ouch, they know they crossed the line because they're pushing and trying to learn on us where that line is. Mm. So I don't do the, don't talk to me like that, because that's like my parents' voice is coming through. And that's not really how I want to come at it. But I want to be really clean of like, or sometimes I'll say, you just crossed the line. Do you want to try again? And then we move on. Because they're learning, but yeah. it's very clear where my line is. And so also, Kim, to answer your question, if I'm trying to have an important conversation and they're like, fuck you, I don't want to listen, you know, then I might actually say, I, what I like to do ahead of time is say, hey, I want to have an important conversation. Can we schedule a time? So I empower them to be the ones to create the time. And so that's just already inviting them in and having a say in it. But if the conversation's going south quickly, that's an invitation to stop. It means someone's dysregulated and nothing good's going to happen. And I might say like, hey, this is not a good time. Let's come back in 10 minutes. Let's both use our strategies to kind of breathe and come back into our bodies. That's really smart. And and if we're going to bring this back to sexuality, a conversation that can often feel really charged and kind of like an emergency, sex is not an emergency. Yeah. And so when you actually have the ability to slow it all down, like, God, I feel really unequipped at the moment. Mm-hmm. Let's pause. Mm-hmm. Then we're not only giving them an experience of the communication around whatever the topic is, but specifically sex. If we can slow that down, then their experience with sex will be slower and more thoughtful because yeah. have a, it's all encompassing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. This has been really, really great. Um, you know, I wish that we had this conversation um, 40 years ago. <laughs> for me. <laughs> but oh. for anybody that's listening, wow. I We actually had um, uh, some people chime in with some questions about talking, you know, with your kids about this kind of stuff. And um, my cousin, who literally raised her daughter's kids because of, you know, stuff, um, from the time they were, gosh, three and four, and there one of them is now in high school, and the other one is on his way. But um, you know, from her conversations with her daughters to now her conversations with her grandsons, it's like night and day. You know <laughs> that there's a whole different world that we're living in that makes it different. In a lot of aspects, you know, especially with social media, especially um, with uh, kids and depression and, you know, a lot of things that we didn't really have a lot of awareness 30 or, or 35, 40 years ago. You know, so in a lot of ways, I think social media has created more awareness about certain things. The Internet has created more awareness about certain things that we didn't have access to back then so in some ways i think that's good but in a, in most ways i think it's extremely harmful too um to raise your kids in this i, I mean i 
don't know how I could I would do it. I mean, it would just be like a whole different experience. Um, the world is a different place for sure. It is such a different. Parents right now are having such a different experience. But I will say that in regards to sexuality, we actually, as parents, we all have this opportunity to really heal ourselves as we show up with our kids in a different way when in a non-based sexual expression and really emphasizing the beauty of of being a sexual being that when we're having those conversations, when we're modeling it, when we're getting clumsy, all the things we've been talking about, when we're owning our parts, we're healing ourselves. And that to me is just so exciting because that's how we're changing the ripple effect. So that's great. Well, thank you so much. Um, any last words? Any Jenny, you have any more questions? Sure. I'll, I'll ask Deb the last question I like to always ask. Yes. What is something no one asks you, but you wish they would? Oh, my. It's a stumper. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Let me think. Oh, my God. This is like, okay, here's a. Um, Just go with your intuition. <laughs> what's the thing that you would least expect of me? Um, and maybe that's that I am like a diehard live music person. I will like be on the front row of a concert, like, <laughs> like rocking out any chance I get. <laughs> Although awesome. My ears. But that is I have this very professional side and then I have this like groupy music lover side well and I think that's really cool because as a professional sometimes understanding the personal part of someone that you're working with helps you to connect even more you know totally so do you get a lot of clients that ask you so what do you do for fun Deb not really. <laughs> oh. <laughs> really, my clients don't ask me a lot about myself, which I'm grateful for. Well, this has been fun, you guys. Um, uh, and thank you thank so you, much, Deb. Deb, for joining us. And uh, Dr. Jenny, as always, um, it's been an enlightening conversation for me um, as well. And I hope for you, too, if you're listening. Until next time, this is the Modern Pleasure Podcast. Mm-hmm.